Everyone has a story. Whether it's triumph over illness, compassion during a time of need, or even having the strength to say goodbye. This is Health You, Hackensack Meridian Health's podcast. Here you will find stories from real patients, family members, and friends who have had a remarkable experience they'd like to share. Thank you for listening, and we hope these stories inspire you and remind you you're not alone. Gary, thanks so much for having us here and for being open to sharing your story and your story with Lynn. I am so excited that I was even asked when I got a call from hospice that they wanted to print my letter, my thank you letter that I sent to hospice. I was absolutely overjoyed. I was thrilled. We had found, uh, we had been given the letter that you shared with hospice and that's kind of how we got connected here. So to just kind of set the scene and so everyone kind of knows the journey that you guys took together, do you mind starting from the beginning and just sharing how you and Lynn met? Actually, we met at a Dale Carnegie course, a public speaking class. And I was going to build up my confidence, and she was going because she was doing presentations at work. It was a 14-week class, and in the middle of the class for two weeks, she had to leave to go to Europe. So she was gone for two weeks, and when she came back, I was talking to her, and she was telling me she went to Europe. And she told me she went with her mom. And I asked her, what did your husband think about that? And she said she wasn't married. I was like overcome with joy. She could tell I couldn't get the smirk off my face. I was so, so very happy. A couple weeks later, coming out of class, I asked her if I could walk her to her car. I walked her to her car, opened up the door, let her in. I climbed in and we started talking. And we were talking as if it was forever. I leaned over, I gave her a kiss and sparks just flew. I knew right then and there that we were going to be married. We were going to have the greatest life that I could have ever imagined. And it all came true. That's amazing. Thanks. Thanks for sharing that. And I can tell just from how you've written about her and how you even talk about her, how much love you guys had. And you're, you always refer to her as your darling bride. I think it's really beautiful. Everything I ever dreamed of and so, so much more I found in Lynn. So how long did you and Lynn date before you guys got married? We were married in just over a year, like 14 months. Okay. We had only gone out a couple times, and she invited me over for dinner. And she had shared with me she wanted a ceiling fan for her bedroom. The first time I went over to her house, I went and I purchased a ceiling fan. <laughs> I had never done any electric had no idea how to put it up, didn't tell her anything. So while she was cooking dinner, I'm in her bedroom, standing on the bed, installing the bedroom fan for her. Did she know you were doing it or you just... Oh, no, oh, she okay. knew. She saw me carry the big box in <laughs> yeah. and she's like, wow, what, what in the world is that? And I said, I got you a... You know, I got you a fan for your bedroom. She was like, a ceiling fan for your bedroom. She was like blown away. And I'm sitting there... We're eating dinner, and I thought to myself, I'm going to be living here before I know it. And I don't think it was a month later where I had moved in with her. Wow. And we were living yeah. together. And no sooner did I move in that I thought to myself, we're not going to be living here long. We're going to be buying ourselves a house. And then right after we got married the following year, we bought ourselves a house. We lived up north. She insisted we move down here to Manahawkin. Up north, we were living in the development. We moved down here into a community. 
She cultivated so many friends in this development by being active in the community before she got sick. She was running the social committee. She ran multiple fundraisers down here. She had the best party ever that we had in this community. She ran a ball. It was like a wedding. We had a full band, a Chinese auction, a couple different types of auctions there. Every single penny that she made would be donated. And then even after once she couldn't get out anymore, she'd be laying on the couch doing fundraising. What were some of the, the favorite things you guys like to do together? When we lived up north, we'd be going in the city all of the time for Broadway shows. We loved doing that. We'd go in the city, we'd have a great meal, see a Broadway show, and we loved to travel. My sister was saying, how many trips have you been on? And I'm thinking we were together 34 years. We went away a minimum of twice every year. So we were, had to be away on vacations close to 70 times. We're so blessed that we were in a situation where we had enough money to do whatever we wanted. So, and even once Lynn was sick, we'd go to the city, and then after a period of time, there was just like too much for her. It was just too much. What kind of cancer did she have? She had metastatic breast cancer. I believe it was 91 she was diagnosed with breast cancer. Oh, wow. She had chemotherapy for a year and 30 sessions of radiation on her breast. And they said she was clean. She had stage 2 cancer at the time. She kept on going back for checkups, kept on going back to the oncologist and the surgeons. And then after about 15 years, they said... Your cancer was so aggressive that if it didn't come back by now, it wouldn't come back. And we moved down here in 2011, and then by the end of 2012, she got scanned, and it came back. She had metastatic breast cancer, and it was in her bones, her lungs, her liver, her adrenal glands, and it had progressed to her brain. I thought to myself, am I ever going to get my bride back? And slowly but surely, her cognitive ability was coming back. A month later, we go back for another brain scan, and the tumors are shrinking. And we're thinking, oh my God, that's so great. Because she's had radiation on other parts of her body, and we know radiation continues to work for a long time. So we're like, this is great. It's working. It's going to continue to work. Well, A month later, we go for another brain scan, and it was brutal. We always asked to see the scans, the PET scans, the MRIs, always. And when we went, I told the doctor, I said, you know, I'd like to see the scan. And he says to Lynn, you sure you want to look at the scan? And we knew that wasn't going to be good news. Going back to the first time you said Lynn had uh, been diagnosed, that was in 91. Um, had she been feeling any different? Or was it just a routine check? Like, how did they end up finding uh, it out? Was just, it was just a mammogram, and the mammogram didn't show anything. 
But then the doctor examined her and found a lump. They said it couldn't be, you know, it couldn't be the same thing. And she's saying, I have the exact same symptoms I had 20 years ago. She had been on nine different types of chemo because either the chemotherapy wouldn't work or it would work and it wouldn't work for very long. The longest she was on any chemo was for nine months, but I don't think anything worked for more than six months. But then by the time you get the blood work and the scan and, you know, maybe let's just try it a little bit longer or maybe up the dose, but the chemo was getting her so sick that she couldn't tolerate it. Our understanding was that chemotherapy does not work for the brain because there's a blood-brain barrier. So what they did is they had to add another medication to try to break through the blood-brain barrier. And when they gave her that other medication together, not only could she not tolerate it herself, uh, but very serious rashes. So the doctor would take her off of it tried to put her on one of them and then add the other at a much lower dosage, and it wasn't working. She had maybe three or four weeks where she was on nothing, and she was starting to feel a little better, and they said, well, we're going to try it one more time. The next day, she wakes up. She looks in the mirror, and she says, I look like a monster. Her whole face was like blown up like a balloon. And anytime she had anything like that, I would take a picture and send it over to the doctor. And the doctor said, stop it. We went in to New York one more time. Lynn wasn't getting, wasn't responding and wasn't getting any better. Lynn always thought she was going back on treatment, but she really couldn't make that decision herself because she was too sick and she didn't have the cognitive ability. So I told the doctor, we need to still have an appointment just in case we do come in. You never know. She might feel better. We'll come in. We can put her on treatment. Nothing was set in stone. It wasn't like, we're definitely not getting any treatment. Let's just play it by ear. But for now, you know, let's take a little bit of a break. So we had the appointment. The appointment came and was too sick to go to New York. We pushed it back. The appointment came. She was too sick to go in. At what point did you then engage with the hospice team? I remember when she could still get up the steps to go upstairs to watch TV. And then it was like, she'd take one step up the stairs and then stop. She's like, this is like climbing Mount Everest. So I got the TV for downstairs and set us up downstairs, and that was pretty much it. She never, she never got back upstairs again. Lynn had been on the couch for weeks and weeks and weeks. She was just in so much pain, and I didn't want to put her in the hospital, so I called up hospice. It's a Thursday... And I call up hospice and I said, I make the appointment to come on Tuesday. Later on that same day, 
I look at Lynn again, and I'm thinking, I don't know if she's even going to be alive next Tuesday. So I called them right back, and they came that day. They came a couple hours later. They taught me how to give my wife a bed bath. They taught me how to get her cleaned up. What a tremendous help that was. So I never really expected to get all the help that I got. They were here for 30 days, and the aide was here every single day until Lynn passed. The nurse was here every single day. Never did I think they were going to come on the weekends. I'm actually going to go back to the letter that you had written. So you mentioned Marlene and Jamie, Michelle, and Anne. Um, I guess what made that team special for you and made you decide you wanted to write them a letter? They were like gold. Lynn was very comfortable with this specific team, and so was I. If any time, you know, we could get Jamie or Marlene or Anne, the aide, to come over, would be great. And pretty much they accommodated us. The kindness, the gentleness that they showed Lynn, if they had to move her, the warmth. It's not like they were coming over and doing a job. Not like that at all. It was as if they were coming over to take care of one of their own loved ones. That's something. Yeah. That's something you think. Nurses come over, they're doing their job, this or that. Not at all. Not at all like that. When the aides and the nurses were coming over and they were relaying the same message to me that they could just feel the love in that room, that was really special. What more could you ask for anybody, for the hospice team? It would be virtually impossible to have any team come over that could have done half the job that they did. I was blown away. Blown away. I never thought that I could continue to just chatter and just talk without any response. But when Lynn was in the bedroom, in the hospital bed, I would just go in there and I would talk. I made a playlist of all love songs that we both loved. And I'd have the love songs playing and I would just, I'd bring up the lyrics on my phone and I'd be just singing the love songs to her. She had been running a fever for days, so I had the damn cloth over her forehead. She opened up her eyes for a second and then closed them, and I knew she was gone. I called up hospice, so they'd send the nurse to pronounce her. It sounds like you were both lucky to have each other. So much. She took care of me for so many years, and I'm really the luckiest guy in the whole world. This is a story that totally, totally blows me away. Sometimes I can really be high-wired and have a hard time falling asleep. So I used to listen to CDs, guided meditations or whatever. Uh, and after a while, they wouldn't work. So Lynn created 
her own guided meditation, and she used to put me to sleep at night. She'd have me picture a beautiful hot air balloon with all flowers and beautiful colors, and she'd have me put all my cares and all my troubles into the basket. And then she'd tell me, release the basket and let all your cares and troubles go. And then she'd be saying, you know, you're so relaxed and so at ease. You're so relaxed and so at ease. You're going to feel better than you have in a long time. You're going to feel better than you have in a long time. And when she would do this to me, it would be the same thing all the time. I'm thinking to myself, this isn't working, this isn't working, this isn't working. The next thing I know, I'd wake up in the morning and I'd be like, oh my God, she did it again. (laughs) A couple days after Lynn passed, I'm looking on my phone and I'm looking at voice memos and I see two voice memos that I don't know what they are. I go and play it. She recorded herself doing the meditation to me twice. So now, if I can't go to sleep, I can listen to her for her voice for 20 minutes, putting myself to sleep at night. I don't know how she did it. She didn't even know where the voice memos were on her phone, (laughs) never mind being able to try to find voice memos on my phone and record herself. But she recorded herself for 20 minutes doing her meditation. Who else in the world would do that? It's very thoughtful. Talk about leaving a piece of her with me, a huge piece. The life expectancy for what Lynn had was 18 to 24 months. She was in treatment for like five and a half years. The other thing I'd want to ask, I feel like I'd be doing a disservice to anyone who'd be listening who is going through something similar and either making a decision to go and seek hospice care or anything. Do you have advice for people who might be going through something similar? Follow your heart and reach out for help. When Marlene came here the first time, she let us write, she let us know right away, uh, hospice is here, really not just for the end of life. I forget if she said for like three months or six months, and if the person is still doing well, they could either stop or they could re-up. So just because you're calling in hospice doesn't mean that your spouse or loved one has to die. That's not what they're there for. They're there for support and to help you take care of your loved one and to keep them comfortable. Because without hospice, I could not have kept Lynn comfortable at all. Until you make that phone call and say, you know what, I need help. Could you come over? And you know what? Uh, If your spouse or loved one isn't ready for hospice, 
when they come, they'll let you know. They can come and evaluate you. They can let you know where you stand. I could not recommend the service any more highly. All participants of the Help You podcast have willingly and openly shared their stories. They have not been paid or incentivized for sharing. The views expressed by our guests solely belong to them and are not necessarily aligned with Hackensack Meridian Health. We thank you for joining us and hope the stories of our patients have inspired you and comforted you. Thank you.